in uh, we're in the Wild West now. Hit the first IED, didn't go off. Thank God. Um, stand up. You got to keep moving. Probably about 30 seconds later, when we passed that tree, where the where the um, where the trip wire was tied to, when we passed that tree, I saw movement in our targeted compound, and it was it was 17 meters from me, and all hell broke loose. When that PKM opened up, I felt like I could reach out and grab the flame that shot out of that barrel. It was, it was close. And the JTAC called up and he's like, if we don't drop right now, they're going to kill Ryan. Um, the Taliban had already stated, like, we got an American cutoff, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the, all the crap that they say over ICOM. Hi, and welcome to The Spear, a podcast by the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Amble, Editorial Director at MWI, and The Spear is our platform to explore the combat experience. Each episode includes a single one-on-one interview with a guest who walks us through a particular event and their role in it. A battle, a firefight, a mission. It's a first-person account of combat. This episode is the second in a two-part conversation I had with Ryan Hendrickson, He's a special forces soldier, and I really hope you listen to the first episode with him because in it, he talked about a 2010 incident in Afghanistan when he stepped on an IED that almost took his leg. He was also very forthcoming and honest about the recovery process and his fight, not just to get better, but to stay in the army. And that backdrop makes part two of our conversation, which you're about to hear, that much more impressive. Because he did stay in the army, and six years and a couple deployments later, he found himself in an incredibly intense fight over the course of an 18-hour mission. Before we hear from Ryan, just a couple quick things. First, if you're not already subscribed to The Spear, remember you can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Definitely go and subscribe if you have not yet heard part one of this conversation. And second, as always, what you're about to hear are the views of the participants and don't represent the position of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. All right, here's part two of my conversation with Ryan Hendrickson. So, Ryan, we've already talked about this 2010 deployment, your first deployment in the Army, stepping on the IED, then fighting for, I guess, 18 months, not just to to, to keep your leg, but also to just stay in the army and eventually to return to an, an operational team an operational special forces team. Can we fast forward now to, um, 2016, we had discussed kind of, uh, before how it can be difficult sometimes for people to talk about the stories, like the one you shared, uh, from 2010 stories of getting hurt badly of, of, you know, the difficulty of recovery. Another thing I think members of the military, um, find sometimes difficult to talk about is the, um, awards they've earned. Uh, but the event we're about to uh, discuss now, I guess, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, really, your actions during the during that event earned you the Silver Star, right? Yes. So this is now six years on from stepping on that IED from really almost, you know, again, almost losing your leg. You're back on a team now at this point. Can you talk about um, what happened? Can you talk about what happened in, in 2016 this day? Yes. Yeah, it was, um, so, uh, we, I, I basically, um, I jumped on with another company to go, uh, to Afghanistan. They needed guys and, 
it was, you know, I had been out of Afghanistan for four years at that point. Last trip I'd been there was 2012 and they needed guys. And so I said, I'll go. Uh, we got to Afghanistan in January and I really, I really thought there wasn't going to be anything going on because it was the winter, but it was a warm winter in 16. Um, February, um, we got hit up for a mission and I, I actually had uh, five national mine reduction Afghans with me in MRG. And they were basically my little cell that I ran. Um, there was a team, there was a team that was, that was requesting um, NMRG assistance and going in and they were going to be clearing um, the village of Nyazula in Pulikumri, um, Boglan province. And they're, they're sort of, so the NMRG are sort of, um, sort of kind of like an Afghan EOD force, so to speak, but really focused yes. on IEDs. Yes. Okay. And they have an American with them um, or two Americans with them all the time up in the front. So, um, you know, basically we get we get called to uh, go to head into Boglin. Uh, we fly there, stage out of a um, Afghan base uh, there. You know, fast forward a week of us prepping and whatnot like that. We it's infill time. It's time to infill. Um we knew that there was a really heavy presence of um, Afghan or of Taliban of where we were at because just nonstop uh, the base or up on the hill where there was another Afghan base. Uh, they were just getting, they were taking indirect fire every single night, every single day. So we knew that indirect fire was coming from somewhere. So obviously it's probably coming from the village that we're about ready to infill into. Um, we, we kick off on the mission um, and, you know, basically driving under, you know, driving under blackout conditions, nods, get over to where we're going to dismount. How, and is it, um, is it your entire team that's out on it? Yeah. Well, this is the team that I was attached to. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you're there, there's, there's essentially an ODA and you and your five, uh, NMRG guys. Along with, uh, yes, along with an Afghan commando element. So okay. there's probably about 60 Afghan commandos. Okay. So um, basically, Intel had it that there there was a lot of Taliban in the area. This was a staging point for the Taliban to, to uh, conduct attacks on Highway 1. Um, and then from Highway 1, they would threaten the power, um, basically the power source for Kabul because the power lines ran up to that area. Anyways, um, so we get dismounted. I get, I get my five NMRG. I know the route, and we push forward. Um, we knew that there was a couple real sticky places on the route, uh, one of which historically um, was an orchard we had to pass through. Um, everybody knows orchards are bad news. And um, and there was, uh, you know, obviously Nizula, the village, we were we, we had intel that there was a lot of IEDs in the area. Um, so we start we start pushing forward. Uh, I'd fast forwarded about an hour and we finally reached the outskirts of the orchard. And so we, we do we do pretty much a pregnant pause right there. And there was an overwatch um, element that uh, basically just lit the orchard up. Um, fire, they did a good probably three minute. Um, the, the, uh, two, or they used the 240, 60 millimeter mortars, uh, the Carl G, they just, they completely lit up the orchard. And, um, to see if they can entice the Taliban to fight back. If the Taliban fight back, then we can drop bombs on whatever compound they're in, and we're good to go. Well, so, the Taliban don't fight back. So the orchard is 
what on the kind of on the outskirts of the village yes yep orchard was on the outskirts of the village leading into the village and it was we had to go through the orchard to get to our first compound so um they uh they let loose for a good three minutes with everything and it goes silent we're thinking the taliban will return fire nothing Okay, well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the Taliban knew Americans were coming because everyone knows they know what we're doing before we do it. And, um, and they fled. Okay, no big deal. So we start, um, so the rest, of, the rest of the element was going to stay behind. Well, not stay behind, but they were going to pull security while I took the NMRG through the orchard, cleared the orchard. Um, while I still had security and overwatch, and then we would reorganize again and um, basically do an assault on the first compound and clear that compound. Um, we start moving through the orchard, and I see I see um, um, the first uh, NMRG Afghan in front of me. His name was Jaweed. I see him kind of like kind of like moving his arms, like he just walked through a, a cobweb. You know what I mean? Out in the woods, right. and and we heard this loud pop. So we all hit the ground and it sounded like a gunshot, but couldn't really figure out what. And so um, I was about, I was, I don't know, I was arms reach of him. And I got up to him and he had tripped a tripwire IED. That was a grape shot wall charge. So it's similar to a um, Claymore, um, but homemade. They, he had tripped an IED but it low ordered um, the blasting cap went off, but it didn't, it didn't, um, it, it didn't hit the uh, main charge, which would have sent bolts and nuts and nails and everything else flying at us. So that was, so you called it low ordered. That's the same thing that happened with the ID that you had stepped on six years previous. It, I mean, you're an engineer, so you've encountered a lot of, ID. how, how, I mean, is that just kind of really, really lucky that that happened to, you know, part of the ID that you stepped on and it happened in this case too. How, how common is that? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, every, everybody who's um, dealt with IEDs, they've, they've probably had a, you know, an, um, a couple um, IEDs that have low ordered and whatnot like that. But for the most part, I would say 70% of them go off and 30% of them low order. Wow. So it's fairly uncommon um, the IED that I stepped on was extremely uncommon because if one cell blows, it'll usually sympathetically detonate the other two cells, but that didn't happen. Only one cell blew and the other two just didn't. So I, I just chalk it up to God watching over me. And then, and then this, um, this grape shot charge in the wall. Yeah. I mean, God watching over me. I, I don't know. I can't explain how it low ordered. Um, so basically we got them untangled and it's like, wow, all right, there's IEDs here. Um, they had the tripwire at chest level because they know that when we have our mine detectors, we're looking down on the ground and we're looking for ground sign and everything like that. So, okay, got it. We're, we're in, uh, we're in the wild west now hit the first IED didn't go off. Thank God. Um, stand up. You got to keep moving. Probably about 30 seconds later, when we passed that tree where the, where the, um, where the trip wire was tied to, when we passed that tree, I saw movement in our targeted compound and it was, it was 17 meters from me and all hell broke loose. Um, a PKM opened up on uh, myself and the NMRG, um, the wall just 
turned into different muzzle flashes, probably about five AKs just opened up on us and a guy with an RPG um, trying to hit us with an RPG, but he couldn't, like for some reason, he just couldn't get the angle right. So we were walking in the middle of a pretty much like a dirt path slash motorcycle road in the orchard. And it, it was about a foot defilade. So if you're, if you're right in the middle of the road on each side of it is about, you know, six inch to eight inch berm. So, and then a ditch on the other side. Um, I hit the deck flat, obviously, because that's what we're trained to do. And um, I grabbed the first, you know, NMRG guy I could, and I threw him in the ditch that was next to the road. The other, the other four NMRG guys, one guy was behind a tree, and the other three were already in the ditch. So the compound that they that they that just sort of lit up, uh, where is, yep. is is that ahead of you on the path, or is it on one side? It was so it was ahead and to the left of me. So it was kind of to the side, but it was um, it was ahead of us and to the left. Okay, and. The, so basically ICOM chatter, I had a, I had a strobe light or I had a IR strobe on my helmet. So, you know, the aircraft could pick up, this was the lead element right here. And the, the Taliban, you know, they had, or they had, um, nods. And so they could see my strobe, but it was bouncing off the foliage in the, in, in the orchard. So they couldn't quite pinpoint me. So they were just rattling everything. But when that, when that PKM opened up, I felt like I could reach out and grab the flame that shot out of that barrel. It was, it was close. Wow. And, and, um, so I took off, I, you know, I, I grabbed my helmet and I was trying to take my, um, I was trying to take my IR strobe off and I finally, I ripped it off and the JTAC, he was calling up and he's like, we don't know where they're at. Where are they firing from? They were still being, most of the element was still behind a mud hut wall. There was just myself, the NMRG, and um, and three more guys that came up for security while we cleared the orchard that were up front with me. So I grabbed, I grabbed my strobe, and I chucked it as hard as I could towards that compound. And I was like, if the aircraft can see that strobe, they're in the compound where that strobe's at. Um, and I, we just we just kept engaging um, the dudes. It felt like it felt like it was lasting forever, but. The RPG gunner, um, every time the PKM would stop, the RPG gunner would jump out, yell all Akbar and fire off around in the area that he thought we were at. And they were whizzing over our head and exploding into the compound behind us. The compound behind us had um, American Overwatch on it, like I explained earlier, but they couldn't see where we were at to effectively engage the enemy. So they didn't want to obviously shoot us in the back. So... It was a it was a weird situation, but I would say the third or the fourth time uh, the Taliban fighter with the RPG jumped out, he yelled "Allah Akbar." I had my I had my um, I had my Elkan right on him, and I just I, I put fifteen to twenty rounds into that dude, and that RPG went whistling through the air, and I was like, "All right, now now we're getting somewhere." Then the PKM opened back up, and and basically we couldn't move. We were pinned down. We couldn't pull back. No one could get to us because there was there was another kind of um, automatic weapon that was set up on the corner of the compound that was engaging the guys from behind the wall. And the JTAC called up and he's like, if we don't drop right now, they're going to kill Ryan. Um, the Taliban had already stated, like, we got an American cutoff, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the, all the crap that they say over ICOM. 
Did you have uh, Did you have an icon on you? No, our turfs were telling me this uh, afterwards. Okay. I'm I'm glad I didn't hear this before because that's that's pretty unnerving. Yeah, I bet. But um, but basically the call came. It's like if we don't hit this compound right now, um, Ryan's gonna die. And I was 17 meters from where the PKM was, and so our JTEX they switched up uh, the bomb basically you have fragmentation bombs and concussion bombs and they switched up the bomb. Um, and they, they called in for a 500 pound concussion bomb to get dropped on that compound where I was, <laughs> where I was in the road, you know, basically, you know, probably where the bomb hit, I was probably like 20 meters away, but, um, I was in the road laying on my face do as they low ha- as I can get. And do they have like, I mean, presumably they have like, uh, like, ranges like what what what's safe to be you know how, how close is safe or how far away is safe enough uh to be when one of these drops and you are you must be you know danger 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 close yeah so it was denied at first um they were like no that's extremely danger close we cannot drop this this will kill them denied by who um what's uh, i don't know the jtacs were saying they had to fight like crazy so probably somebody at bath okay um, because when you're when you're calling in for air um yeah it's the ground force commander's decision but if you have fratricide yeah you're i mean that's a bad bad thing obviously so the call went i mean basically it boiled down to hey we can we can hit we can hit that position with a concussion bomb and not a fragmentation and um and that'll give ryan and the nmrg enough time to get up and at least bound back to our position um, JTAC came over the radio and he's like, Hey bro, this is going to be big. Keep your head down and just, just, I mean, just keep your head down, dude. Um, so I heard the fast mover overhead and he was like, all right, bombs away, you know, keep your head down. And it, and when that thing hit, it was like, I've never experienced anything like it before. It, it just rattled every single bit of me i looked up i was still laying on the ground and i looked up out of the corner of my eye eyes and i just saw like my first concern was that compound is going to come raining down on me mm-hmm. you know the like chunks from it and whatnot um i looked up out of the corner of my eye and i just saw i saw just um tree limbs leaves dirt dust everything just blowing straight over the top of me and just covering me but nothing really heavy hit me or my guys um i and then you know obviously you go through the whole the whole deal where i can't hear um everything's ringing everything's echoing um and then next thing i know you know my my hearing comes back a little bit and through this echo like someone's yelling at me way down a hallway i hear guys screaming on the radio ryan are you alive ryan are you alive are you okay are you okay and i come back I was like, yeah, yeah I, I'm okay, I think. And, you know, guys start, you know, cheering and whatnot like that. And I was like, all right, we got to bounce back. I stood up and I, I couldn't. I kept falling down and flopping around like a fish. It was weird. Just, um, but just finally, the concussion just had that kind of effect on your, on, on, yeah. on what, probably your inner ear. And I don't know, I'm, but that must, yeah, that must my, have been a weird sensation. Yeah, I, I, had, uh, I had clear liquid coming out of both of my ears. Um, and, and I was just like, all right, grab the dudes and we were able to bounce back. Um, and then they dropped one more 500 pounder on it. And, uh, the team kind of got together and was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, 
we got a mission to do and that was that was the first two hours of a basically an 18 hour mission and so we continued um we continued through the village really we had no we had no resistance at all we um, i ended up blowing up a bunch of uh 107 rockets um found just a just a gauntlet of tunnels um we uh you know, I, I blew up a lot of IEDs. I, I want to say I, I, I probably bit 15 IEDs uh, myself. And then the NMRG, they probably had another 30 just in this village. And um, we just kept moving through the village until we got to our uh, limit of advance, our, you know, our LOA. And uh, the call came over the radio. Okay, we're going to start conducting exfil. Well, at that time, the uh, the commandos that were with us, they were like, well, we're not staying here. You guys have to stay. Like, man, this isn't our country. You guys have to stay. So this back and forth started ensuing with um, the team sergeant and the team leader with the commandos because the commandos didn't want to stay out there. Um, it's dangerous, dangerous spot. Well, one of the commandos uh, came up to me, and one of my NMRG guys, he spoke pretty good English. So he, um, Abe was his name, and he uh, he came up and he's like, hey, man, you know, obviously in Boston, but he was like, hey, man, uh, my guys, I got guys on, I got guys on security right now. He says he sees 15 to 20 um, people, males, moving this direction. We don't know if they're villagers. We don't know who they are, but they're moving in this direction now. And so I went up to Team Center and I was like, hey, man, I, I think we need to go. Um, we got dudes coming, or we – we need to get in a compound, get ready to fight or something. We don't know if they're villagers or whatnot. And he's like, okay, um, yeah, let's get the NMRG. Uh, let's go ahead and let's, let's get ready to exfil. Um, he was still, you know, trying to convince, convince the commandos like, Hey, you guys got to stay and hold this ground or it's going to go right back to the Taliban. And probably a minute later, um, everything erupted again in a near far, um, a, you know, an L shape, just an ambush. And so PKM started, I mean, rounds just started flying all across the road, the compound, I mean, everywhere, sniper fire, um, RPGs exploding overhead and, and hitting walls around us. It, it was a mess. So, um, obviously guys went for the first bit of cover they can get, which was a ditch. Ditch was about six feet deep. And we, we started returning fire the best we could, but there was just the Taliban at that point had fire superiority over us, which is, you know, not a good thing to say. Um, aircraft were flying in low, trying to drop bombs, but they couldn't tell where the Taliban and the, and the Afghan and the American lines were. Everyone was intermingled. And that's when I realized, like, we, we have Taliban within five meters of us. And it, it was... Next thing you know, um, I'm in the ditch and I look down the road and there's, you know, there's a couple guys, uh, a couple Afghans laying in the road. Um, I'm presuming we're dead at that point in time. Um, I, you know, I mean, we're, we're, I mean, it's just, it, it was just chaotic. Like looking down the road, it, the dust kickup looked like, looked like a bunch of horses stampeding down a dirt road. There was that much dust kicking up from the rounds. Wow. Um, yeah. And, um, then the next call that came over the radios, uh, just, it makes every American, you know, just freezing is like Eagles down, Eagles down, Eagles down. It's like, Oh no, uh, th this is bad. 
Um, now we got Americans that are, that are hit too, uh, wounded, killed. We don't know. Um, and so we had to establish a casualty collection point. Um, and basically there was wounded guys coming in, um, all over the place. I mean, in this fight alone, I want to say at least 15 Afghans were wounded. Um, there was wounded guys coming in all over the place and we were moving them to this first casualty collection point, which was near a two story, um, basically wooden building and uh we started getting guys on the ground started started working on them while uh we were getting security up initially and then that building just erupted in fire Taliban were in the building they started just peppering our casualty collection point so finally we can pinpoint one area that that air and this is this is about this is almost 40 minutes later we finally pinpoint an area that we can drop a bomb on and um and the aircraft were like, finally, thank you. And all right, cleared hot. And they leveled that, they leveled that building that we were taking fire from, uh, to be safe. We picked up and moved our casualty collection point. We moved all the wounded dudes, found out the, uh, three Americans that were hit, they were just wounded. Thank God. Um, but we, uh, we, we moved the casualty collection point, um, across, you know, across the way to where we can actually start landing helicopters. Um, one attempt at getting a helicopter in, they had to divert, and I, I saw the helicopter smoking, leaving the battlefield, and I was like, don't tell me, we're about ready to have a fallen angel. That was going to be really bad if we do. Um, but they, they ended up making it out, and it, it, it took a while to actually get enough white space to where we can start landing um, landing uh, medevac helicopters in to get, get the wounded guys out and wounded guys kept coming in. So then I did a head count of my guys. I was like, okay. Um, I did, I did a head count. Like you always do. It's like, Hey, we got, you know, we have air overhead. We're starting to pound targets. Okay. We need to get out of here now. Um, and at that point is when I realized I'm missing two of my men, um, Afghans. And, um, so I was missing two of my NMRGs or my, yeah, my NMRG guys, Abe and Vesmula. And then uh, the commandos came up and they said, hey, we're missing some of our guys, too. I was like, crap, this is not good. Um, we can't leave. And so I told the team sergeant, I was like, hey, man, I, I'm taking a team. I got to go back to where I know um, Abe and Bez were at because um, they're missing. And, we're, you know, no one gets left behind. We know that. Um, and so uh, a couple guys volunteered to, to come with me. And it's like, okay. And so one of the JTACs was with us, Air Force uh, Combat Controllers. He's like, hey, man, I got an idea. We got two Apaches overhead. Um, basically, we see where we're trying to go. It's about 500 meters down this dirt road. Um, but we also know we're taking a lot of fire from this road. So I'm going to have the Apaches fly over and just lay waste, just do a, a gun run of everything around that road. Um, because we're pretty sure we know where Abe is at. Um, he's probably in the ditch over there waiting on us or whatnot. And, uh, and we'll basically, as they open up their gun run, we'll take off running down the road. Um, so in a sense, Apaches would be clearing the way for a rescue team to get down the road and, and get these guys. It's all right, man, let's, let's do it, dude. Um, so the Apaches came in, it was like, you know, it was kind of cool. It was like, hold, hold, hold. Those, those cannons opened up and we just took off sprinting and, um, we, we got about 400, 500 meters down the road and I looked in the ditch and the ditches, they were all, you know, they, they were like, 
maybe a foot deep of water, six inches. And it's just nasty, muddy, disgusting water. And I looked in the ditch and, um, there it was, um, floating dead. Um, the reddest, I mean, he, the reddest water I've ever seen, you know, in my life. And, um, up, up from him was, uh, Besmula. And then to the right was the commando. And they were the, and when the first, when the first firefight happened, um, Abe was standing next to me and I took off running for the ditch to the left. He went to the right. And what I didn't realize is, is he did, he had taken two rounds in his pelvis. Um, and so, uh, we got, we got to him and, and, and I just, uh, Abe, this, I mean, he, he started working with us forces in um, in the uh, win- winter of 2002, like he started, he started working with us forces in February, 2002. And he had been through a lot, a mm-hmm. lot. And now in Boglin, you know, he, he got, he got, got in Boglin and so did Besmula and, uh, and so did, you know, this other commando, but you know, we had no time to waste. Um, and so, you know, we're dragging these, trying to drag these men out of a muddy six foot deep ditch and it, it was just, it was so, it, it, it was hard. I mean, it's dead weight. They're dead. And uh, we finally got them out of the ditch, started moving them back. Another couple guys ran up. They had one of our breaching ladders with them. So um, we put the bodies on the ladder, or we put a body, we put Abe's body on the ladder. Um, another couple guys grabbed Besmula, and another couple guys grabbed the commando, and we just, we just took off um, as fast as we could go. And it was the craziest thing because it was all Americans carrying Afghan casualties. And the Afghans, when we got to where we could medevac them, they were just all there staring at us. No, one, None of the Afghans helped us. And it blew that, that blew my mind. Um, but, you know, I know they were shell-shocked and it's not that they wouldn't have done it. I just, that was one moment that I'll never forget. Do you think and that's, goes, do you think that's some, like... Is that is that a culture thing? Uh, and I don't mean like an Afghan versus American culture, but like an Afghan military culture and a U.S. military culture. I mean that notion that you know you don't leave leave a fallen comrade behind um, is just so deeply ingrained from the moment you you know show up to basic training um, in the U.S. military. Is it a culture thing, or I mean, is it just a training thing? I mean, is it a you know? Of course, nobody wants to go run 500 meters down a road where you know, everybody's been getting lit up during the, you know, for the, this entire mission. Um, but the training is, is that, that you've undergone is, is, you know, so good that, that you're going to do it anyway. And the Afghans don't have that. How do what do you, what do you attribute that to? Um, I, I would say it's a military culture thing. We, um, us Americans, um, if you, if you have one American that is down, we will lose another 10 Americans to recover that one American it's the weirdest mindset. And, um, but I, I, I believe it. I, I, I was willing to die for, die for it that day. And they weren't even Americans, they were Afghans, but I live, I live by, you know, whether it's in life, um, maybe it's, maybe it's, um, you know, you got a buddy going through depression or, or anything. I, I live by the motto, nobody gets left behind. No one does. Um, and yeah. And I, and I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to, I'm willing to die for that belief. And I, I believe that, um, that most people, 
um, in the military uh, feel the same way. Wow. In the in the U.S. military, sorry, right. uh, feel feel the same way. So, there's something bigger. There's something bigger than yourself. Um, death, death. You know, it, it's definitely it's it's a permanent answer. But there's something bigger than yourself. There's some. There are things, I believe firmly in this world that are worth dying for. I I, I really do. You think that that's? I mean, this is getting. I don't want to go off on a tangent, I guess, but um, it strikes me that. You know, we, we, we've got the new security force assistance brigades. Now we've got, you know, this is un, yet another kind of attempt to try to train up this Afghan force, but it strikes me that no matter how sort of tactically and technically proficient, um, the Afghan national army and, and, and various other Afghan, uh, defense and security forces get that culture is important. It's, it's really kind of is, is what separates, um, you know, a, a, a technically proficient force from one that that um you know can can win when their backs are against the wall um i mean it, it strikes me that, that 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 lesson kind of pops out at me when you tell this story i tell you i tell you what if you guarantee that my that a soldier's body will make it back to his family regardless of the situation you're gonna have guys fight yeah yeah i think you're right um so you guys then is that what what happens next? You guys you've gotten now you've gotten accountability of everybody, including um, including some KIA. Uh, then now you you get out of the village and 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 get back. Yeah. So um, once once I had a hundred percent up on my guys, um, it you know it, it it was time it was time to exfil. We were getting low on ammo and. Um, we, we had no idea what nightfall was going to bring. Um, and so it, it was time to exfil and, uh, we, we picked up, you know, our, the wounded American guys, is, um, they were medevac, but we still had all their gear. We picked up all their gear, everything else we found. And, um, we started, we took our, you know, we took our commandos and the, and who was left in my NMRG. And we, uh, we, we, we conducted exfil, um, you know, the mission, the mission totaled out, um, five um, Afghan KIA, three American WIA, and at least probably ten to twelve Afghan WIA. It was a uh, it was a hornet's nest. Um, I I've seen a lot of fights in Afghanistan. And I've never seen anything like that before. What are some of the things that you know? Um, you were in kind of a unique position there too, being kind of the sole link with these five NMRG guys. Um, you know, they're Afghans, but they're not part of the commando unit. Um, they're not linked besides through you really to, uh, the ODA that's there. Um, did you feel, did you feel kind of a responsibility for them? Yes. Yes. One, 100% I do. Um, I mean, and it's, it's kind of a responsibility, but, but it's more, it's more of a, um, it's more of a, I, I, I realize that, you know, they're Afghan and I'm American. I, I, I got it, but, um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a green beret. I understand, I understand cultures. I understand hearts and minds. I, I understand, um, you know, uh, get getting the respect and the trust of you know i guess i'll just throw out the indigenous force or whatnot like that i i got it and on paper it looks really good it's hard to do but 
when you fight alongside these guys, they're, they're, they're men just like you are. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. Um, a fighter is a fighter and you will bond. You have no choice, but to bond with somebody because you're going to through combat. It doesn't matter what culture you are, where you're from or what you've done. Uh, the minute you and whoever it is standing next to you is slinging lead down range to save your life and his life, uh, you're going to bond. And so I did. I, I, I had a bond with um, with uh, Abe and Bezmiola and Khan and Jaweed. And um, and the trips that I've gone on to Afghanistan, or the trips to Afghanistan I've been on, um, you know, I've been there uh, five times. The, the trips, it's, you know, it's the same thing. I get... I've ran NMRG the, um, all every time I've been there, and I do, I, I do bond with these guys because they're they're humans just like we are. So I wonder if that, um, you know, going back to kind of the beginning of this mission, um, when, every, when you know you start everything opens up from that compound, um, you're what you said, you know, less than twenty meters from it, um, you get down, you throw one guy down, they're all down. you've got you've got radio comms with the ODA um you're connected to them what about the NMRG guys are they who are they talking to or are they getting everything from you yeah they were getting everything from me so in the past I always had a turf up front with me but Abe um Abe spoke uh, very very good English and so I, I didn't need a turf up there I had Abe and um and so, yeah, I, I would communicate everything from him and, and he would he would pass it on from the group. But, you know, when it's time to get your heads down, there's a bomb coming in to aid, quit firing. They can see your muzzle flash, you know, to um, what, whatever it is. I would just tell Abe and Abe would push on the word. And uh, we we worked really well that way. I was able to coordinate um, a lot of the movements just. You know, once I worked with them long enough, I could just point, you know, hey, man, uh, get this guy over here. We need to have a V-shape over here. We're moving in this direction. And they just, you know, um, the NMRG in Afghanistan are probably the most um, professional and best trained Afghans that I've ever I've ever met. And I've worked with Afghan ANASF. Um, I've worked with commandos. I've worked with ALP. Um, and the NMRG to this date have not had a green on blue and the NMRG are probably the best trained, um, Afghan counterparts I've ever, I've ever dealt with and they're fighters. Well, there's, there's so much that I think we could still unpack about this, this mission that just because of, I mean, there's just so much that happened during it. Um, but that's one thing that really kind of strikes out because that's such a unique relationship that, uh, you form kind of under fire um, okay. with with those guys. So, is there anything yeah. else like kind of when you look back on it now? This is we're a couple years, you know, removed from that. It sounds like you know a couple deployments removed from 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 that day uh, for you. Is there anything when you kind of reflect back on? Is there anything else that just really sticks out to you that 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 you took from that experience that you took from that mission? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really – so that, that mission right there, um, it did a couple things for me. Um, when that PKM opened up, like, in the, in the orchard, when that PKM opened up, I realized what kind of fighter I was. Um, everything got really slow for me. I could, I, could, I could see what was happening, 
Um, and I made calculated decisions based on that. And so I knew right away, you know, okay, uh, when, when a stressful situation like this comes down, I can work through it. So I, I, I was able to prove to myself that, and it's really hard to ever get in that situation without it being combat or a fight for your life or whatnot like that. And then the other thing that I took away from that is that we, is that no one, um, no one gets left behind ever, regardless of who you are. And now I can, I've said that for a long time, but now I can actually base that on facts. And yeah, it sucks that I had the opportunity to base that on facts. Um, but it, it, it's kind of like having a, you know, it's kind of like having something you live by, but you've never experienced it. Well, um, unfortunately, you know, I was able to experience it and, um, and it, and, and follow through with words that I, you know, with words that I live by, but for the most, for the most part, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's combat and it's, and it's, and it's scary and it's awesome. And it's, and it's an adrenaline rush. And, and for years and years and years, guys, you know, have been flocking to combat to see what they're, you know, to see what they got or to see what they're made of or, or fill in the blanks. You've talked to a number of guys um, that have done some really heroic stuff. And I mean, for me, I guess all it did was just, stoke that fire that you want more so i don't know if that's a good thing or not but i'm getting ready to leave um for afghanistan later on this month so wow so this is going to be your what sixth deployment yes wow um a lot of time spent in afghanistan um well, like I said, I, I feel like we could we could keep talking for a long time i really appreciate you sharing the stories i think that um you know like this this story of that day in 2016 itself is powerful, but especially against the backdrop of what happened to you in 2010, almost losing your leg, having to fight so hard to just stay in the army and have the opportunity to be back there again on these successive deployments that you've um, that you've been a part of since then. Uh, I also think it's fascinating that you you started out in the Navy, spent some time in the Air Force, and then made your way over to Army Special Forces. But it sounds like the Army and um, the Army Special Operations Community in particular. Uh, uh, is, is lucky that you took, you know, whatever route you took that you ended up where you did. Um, <laughs> so thank you very much for, uh, for, for, for taking some time and, and, and sharing these stories. Yeah, I, re I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. And I, I definitely, um, I love the message that you guys are sending out. I think it's needed. And I, I, I think you guys are doing awesome stuff. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys with experiences out there. And I think it's awesome that you guys are, you know, doing everything in your power to get those experiences out there for other people to hear. I appreciate that. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, thanks for listening to The Spear. One last thing before you go, if you aren't following MWI on social media yet, find us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It is the best way to keep up to date, not just on the podcast episodes we release, but also new articles and research we're publishing every day. All right, thanks again for listening.